you know, medicine on some level is so fragmented You without technology, right? You go see one doctor, he repeats the same test as your last doctor, go to the hospital, they don't know what your doctor did. And so obviously the fragmentation is like begging for <laughs> technology, right? Uh, but the problem really is, you know, how technology is deployed becomes the issue. Because look, if Amazon can figure it out, right, and and they they're not like such a huge percentage GDP like healthcare is, right? But they have access to like anything. Like on your phone, you know, you could order, uh, you know, a new sweater and it'll be there the next day. Uh, that's not how healthcare works right now. I mean, yeah, I, I'm still surprised how many people walk into a doctor's office and they're given a clipboard. I mean, right. that, that's like, that screams to anybody like, um, or uh, if you try to call your doctor's offices and they say, press one for this, press two for that. Really? Um, that's that's really what it is. Uh, so obviously we have room. room but the problem grow. is I think, yeah, we have room to grow. <laughs> this is the Providers, Properties and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. My podcast interview today is with Dr. Jonathan Bektari, founder and CEO of E7 Health and U.S. Drug Testing Centers. E7 Health offers a software solution for many drug testing labs throughout the United States, and U.S. Drug Testing Centers offers adult vaccine solutions. Dr. Bektari and I discuss how his company was already prepared for adult vaccinations to address the COVID-19 pandemic and how digital health and implementing technologies such as AI is the future of healthcare, no matter how long it takes for us to get there. So Jonathan, welcome to the Providers, Properties and Performance podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's a big honor. So I want to start with getting some background questions out of the way about as so we can dive into your expertise. You're the founder and CEO of U.S. Drug Test Centers. And, uh, and, and E7, E7 Health. Health. Yes, and both of them, yeah. How did you move from being an internal medicine and pulmonary medicine physician to and specializing in vaccines and, and virus testing to drug testing and the vaccine Right. Space? Well, so no, initially I was just, uh, you know, I was um, went to normal training, residency, fellowship, practice clinical medicine, subsequently, you know, started te teaching and uh, in med schools as assistant clinical professor, as well as the clinical practice. But then slowly administrative positions opened up that seemed interesting. And so, you know, I was chief of medicine for the, you know, one of the hospitals. Uh, I was medical director of an ICU. And then other positions opened up uh, in, in hospital administration, insurance company administration. And so one door opened another. And so I eventually got to the point where, you know, we had this opportunity to open up E7 Health, uh, which we did in 2009. Sub subsequently, we spun off um, U.S. drug test centers as a, 
as a sister company to E7 Health that just does one of the many things E7 does. So, uh, and then, you know, we, we sort of built technology for both companies. So we're, in many ways, we're a technology company masquerading as healthcare companies uh, because our goal is to leverage technology to reduce friction for patients, for the staff, and that's what we've been working on. And we want to eventually scale it uh, and do it more regionally and beyond. So uh, what does E7 Health do? And then you can then tell right. us what, so, obviously the testing yeah, so, is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, e, yeah, E7 Health was actually, we were originally called the Vaccine Center from 2009 to 2017, where we did adult vaccinations only, uh, meaning uh, we didn't do primary care, we didn't do urgent care. If you came to see us with a migraine, we wouldn't see you, you know, we'd refer you. Uh, and all we, because, you know, I think, People don't know, but even per the CDC, there's about 50,000 vaccine-preventable deaths in the United States annually. That's you know almost the same number of people that died in Vietnam at, on an annual basis. So we really saw an opportunity for adult vaccinations, uh, and you know whether it's in travel medicine, employee health, student health. There's multiple areas uh, in healthcare that involve adult vaccinations uh, that nobody was really addressing. People are doing it as a sort of like a side thing to their urgent care or their side thing to whatever else they would do. But nobody was focusing on that as a space. So we made it a space. And then we started providing every service around the vaccine. So if you were traveling, we gave you, you know, yes, the travel vaccines, but we also did counseling. We also gave you malaria prescriptions and other prescriptions. We, If you were uh, going to nursing school and you needed vaccines, we also did the blood testing, the titers, uh, we did the physicals. So we started providing all the services around the vaccines. And that's why we eventually changed our name because I, you know, we got pigeonholed and I thought all we did was adult vaccines, which is true. We provide every adult vaccine available in the United States, uh, but we also provide everything around the vaccine that you're gonna need for employee health, student health, travel medicine. So we sort of evolved into a almost i think we talked about it before the show a COVID company before COVID hit that's what we were doing we we're giving adult vaccinations and we were testing for you know measles mumps rubella chicken pox uh we we're testing for viruses so you didn't have to get the vaccine if you didn't need it so we were we were doing the testing um and so when COVID hit we just it was like another you know, virus to add to our menu of what we were doing. So it was uh, a lot of people pivoted to COVID and, you know, we we're going to get in the COVID business. We were already in that business. And right. so, uh, luck yeah, so luckily my staff, and I have an amazing staff, was geared up for it in, in, in a really positive way. So U.S. drug testing centers, what portion of e-health that just, that's just the, the right. testing centers? Right. Yeah. So if you really want to, like dissected e7 health we have a drug testing division that supports student health employee health you know because employees come and they need a vaccine but they also are going to need a physical and a drug test right so if you're starting a new job you're going to you might get all of that so we set up a drug testing division and we wrote software and technology for it and we said oh my gosh uh, we could actually leverage just that technology nationwide because we can use other people's network 
to get the drug test and our and our technology will drive it so um anyone any employer for example could log on to our system once they are a client and they can send 20,000 potential employees to 20,000 locations on the same day okay and literally have the people just walk in with a donor pass that we create for them, get their drug tests, and all 20,000 drug tests would come back to their dashboard the next morning if it was negative. Um, and we would send them one bill. So that was the concept allowing people to literally, uh, for their employers, for other reasons, uh, to be OSHA compliant. What There are many reasons why people need drug testing to allow them to do it nationwide but have one account and get the results in one place and and pay only one person in the old days you you know if you had five offices you set up five different accounts five different places yeah. uh, especially for a small to medium-sized company it would, it would be a struggle so um i think we were, we're again we're a technology company so we write software and technology to address it so everything all our clients they are on our own proprietary software for the most part so it it and the goal is to reduce friction for them and as, as well as our staff and then your testing company has 20,000 testing sites across the 50 states yeah if you include all of them we have all the lab core quest you know with contract meaning they're they're connected to our software okay. uh third parties i mean you name it if you go on that website uh, you know, uh, I don't know the exact number, but it is humongous, yes. And that is the whole idea that you don't have to sign up with this company or that company. You can use our technology. Uh, we're sort of agnostic and you can go anywhere, uh, but you don't have to interact with them, set up an account with them. Uh, you don't have to, you know, even book an appointment with them. We handle everything and then you you just get back to what you do you know what your company does and we we become a drug testing solution as opposed to just a provider of a commodity and so do you do you perform the actual tests or just the software well i mean on the e7 side we do drug testing where we actually collect the samples but uh -huh. on the u.s drug test center side since we're sending them but most of our clients are out of state uh -huh. for where we are from our court so yeah so they're going to our our partner laboratories to get it collected. But you do have some brick and mortar sites and you mentioned um you know before the show that you just purchased a property right next to a yeah. hospital. Right. So we have US Drug Test Center's corporate headquarters there. So sort of uh but we don't actually do drug testing there, but that's where the sort of the brains of it are and the amazing staff. And then yeah, then we opened up an E7 office there and it's yeah, it's in a medical corridor, you know, few blocks uh, from um, one of the bigger hospitals. Yes. And did you was the intention to be next to a hospital so you could be in kind of a healthcare corridor? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the services we provide are, you know, uh, when we talk about employee health, there's many types of sectors, but uh, the healthcare sector needs employee health services just because. You know, uh, you know, hospitals have employee health departments, but for every ho one hospital, there's nursing homes, surgery centers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the companies that can't, don't have the bandwidth to have their own employee health department. So we become the outsourced employee health department 
for healthcare companies as well as defense firms, uh, you know, government agencies, uh, cities, uh, water departments. I mean, you name it. There's almost nobody that wouldn't need our services. Uh, but yeah, and also we thought it was a really strategic investment. Yeah. Uh, all medical buildings tend to, you know, in terms of their value, tend to appreciate. So it was an empty building, and to be able to fill it up with only medical uses you know we thought it was a good investment for the company too we had we, we needed space anyway right R- right and so if we take some space and then uh we have other people who also take space and it's all medical we thought long term why rent when you can you know buy <laughs> buy, buy it and then and if you're going to buy and you're in the healthcare sector anyway why not buy a medical building in a medical corridor and fill it up with medical, medical tenants. <laughs> Makes sense to me. But I, I think this resonates to you, probably a lot more to you than some people <laughs> that might be listening. But yeah, no, no, that makes sense all day long. So I want to move on to the COVID-19. And you know, you mentioned that your company was already a COVID company before COVID, but that you were an expert on it, you know, before it existed. And and can you touch on that for me? Well, I, only in the sense that, we, you know, I mean, when people think of the COVID, they think of, you know, vaccines and, and testing for uh, for viruses. And we were already doing that for, you know, we, we were giving out the rabies vaccine, yellow fever vaccine, Japanese encephalitis vaccine, uh, meningitis vaccine, shingles vaccines, uh, you know, these are all adult vaccines generally, uh, you know, up to, you know, you need a tetanus shot a booster every five to 10 years, pneumonia shots, flu shots. So these are all, people think vaccines and they think children, but really there's a whole gamut of adult vaccines that people now may realize it because of COVID, but we were in the adult vaccine kind of uh, spectrum before it hit. So we understood, uh, you know, what it meant to, how important adult vaccinations were for adults, uh, as well as testing for it. And our software was geared up for it. I mean, it was our processes, you know, we have a, a vaccine refrigerator. I mean, most right. doctors have like a refrigerator from Home Depot that they have. We actually have a you know massive um, vaccine refrigerator, which keeps all the vaccines at equal temperature. We have processes. We, you know, monitor expiration dates and we have training on how to give the vaccines for for our staff. So we that's all we were doing from 2009 to 2019 when the pandemic hit. So it was it wasn't a stretch to like understand, you know, what uh, what the SARS-CoV-2 virus was and the direction it was going to go. So for COVID, you were you were already set up with people, systems, the technology and the infrastructure to deploy the adult vaccines. Well, yeah. I mean, initially, you know, we didn't, obviously the vaccine was managed by the government. So we didn't have, it wasn't commercially available, so we couldn't necessarily get it. But so what we focused on is we rolled out the antibody test very early. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually were one of the few people that rolled out very early in the pandemic home uh, saliva where you spit into a little tube home saliva or work saliva testing that we would ship to you you'd fed fedex it back and you'd go on our portal and so we had that portal technology uh you could order it up on our website on online it auto you know we integrated and 
automatically would be FedEx to you and the results would then go onto your portal. So once you created an account, the results would be there. All of that was sort of pre-existing our online portal and all that. And so, yeah, so it, it, it was a lot of, I know my staff, you know, for the first couple of months when, when the pandemic hit, they were, we were all working really hard, but we weren't starting from scratch. Right. You know, we weren't like doing Botox and now we're doing COVID testing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is, you know, you'll say, oh, they uh, used to be a Botox and now they're doing COVID tests. Uh, and so it, for us, this is what we did. So what do you think we learned from COVID and what do you think we'll be better prepared to do for the next pandemic? Yeah, actually, um, I, I, I did an op-ed piece um, uh, on this um, uh, and I, I think in the, in the Toronto Sun. Uh, but yeah, preparing for the next pandemic is honestly realizing that uh, how pandemics really you know, start. Pandemics tend to really start often uh, if you really kind of look at the more common pandemics and animal transmission to humans. I mean, whether uh, MERS, SARS, all of them have the sort of like background and whether this came out of a lab in China or out of a bat or, you know, some market, it's still the same thing that we're talking about an animal virus that somehow crosses right. over. So it's clear that, you know, those are just, we just have to understand that when we interact with wildlife and when we interact uh, with different scenarios, that that's going to increase the likelihood of transmission in another pandemic. So uh, I think, you know, it's a, it's a very tough question to answer, but I mean, even deforestation where animals become in closer contact with humans and, you know, all of these things that allow you know, um, more human interaction with, you know, animals, bats, what have you, um, they all increase the chances of the pandemic. So there's a, there's something to be learned here, you know, about, and also um, on the flip side is preparedness, you know, uh, I think, you know, just the lack of masks, the lack of this and lack of that, uh, it, it, you know, it's, you would think, um, you know, we would learn from that and and understand that. But and also, I think, you know, um, learning to follow the science and not being, you know, um, not just following anecdotes about right. what the right thing to do, to be a little more patient, do, do double-blind, randomized studies on things as opposed to, hey, this worked on two people over here, so... <laughs> Right. So my, my favorite line that I, that I learned in medical school that I, that I repeat is, you know, the, the plural of anecdotes is not data, you know, so, <laughs> so it's a, it's tried and true. So I think those are, to answer your question, those are the yeah. broad things we can learn. Yeah. And I think as long as we continue to travel, like we do as well, I mean, people move all over the globe think, mm-hmm. faster than any other time. Um, so let's go to digital health because you guys are obviously a, a technology company. So why is digital health the future of healthcare? Well, uh, it's the future of healthcare because it, you know medicine on some level is so fragmented you, without technology, right? You go see one doctor, he repeats the same test as your last doctor, go to the hospital, they don't know what your doctor did. And 
So obviously the fragmentation is like begging for <laughs> technology, right? Uh, but the problem really is, you know, how technology is deployed becomes the issue. Because look, if Amazon can figure it out, right? And and they they're not like such a huge percentage GDP like healthcare is, right? But they have access to like anything, like on your phone, you know, you could order, uh, you know, a new sweater and it'll be there the next day. Uh, that's not how healthcare works right, right. now. I mean, uh, I, I'm still surprised how many people walk into a doctor's office and they're given a clipboard. I mean, right. that, that's like, that screams to anybody like, um, or uh, if you try to call your doctor's offices and they say, press one for this, press two for that. Really? And that's, that's really what it is. Uh, so obviously we have room, room but the problem grow. is I think, yeah, we have room to grow, but a lot of room to grow, but, <laughs> but digital healthcare has too many. Um, I think it has too many masters, you know, they're trying to please Medicare and they're trying to please Obamacare and they're trying to please Blue Cross and Cigna and, and they're trying to maximize reimbursements. And by the way, we're also trying to make the patient's life easier and by the way, you were trying to maybe make the provider's life easier. Uh, you know, the interaction between Amazon and you does not involve any third parties. Right. And so it's easier to drive technology when you only have two people sitting at a table. If there's six right. people sitting at a table and you're trying to drive technology and each one has a different set of interests, not even necessarily conflicting, but a con a set of interests, who are you writing this technology for? Right. right. Are you and trying who's liable to... for the security? There you go. <laughs> On top of that. Yeah. So it, it I, I think there lies the challenge in digital healthcare because if it was as easy as just making the doctor and patient happy, you know, you'd never need to call your doctor or hospital to get your medical records or refill your prescription right. or you know um find out what's covered and what's not covered on your show or you know you know how many times have you showed up in, in a pharmacy and say oh by the way that's not covered you're like well there's got to be a better way for me to know that right then then me show up wait 45 minutes and then find <laughs> out it's not covered so th at least this is what my patients tell me and so i think I, I think digital healthcare is the future, but we have to figure out what the priorities are. You know, you give a software engineer a top one priority, they usually get it right. Right. Okay, but you give a software engineer, okay, these are the top four priorities. Well, I mean, we write software, so at a point you get, you're writing the code, right? And you get a fork in the road. This is going to increase reimbursement, but make the, patient's life a little more difficult or this is going to make the patient's life a little easier but it you know it the reimbursement might drop because of this because whatever and so they're just when you're writing technology you're like at some point you just have to pick one or the other as the priority in that step and yep. so uh you know it, it becomes when you talk to people who write technology uh you you see that they they work on priorities like well, what's the goal here 
Uh, is it user experience? Is it quality? Is it a combination? Or is it some other things besides user experience and quality that matters? Yeah, and I wonder, making it easy for the patient to navigate as a starting point, you know, how can a patient open up their phone? Because it, it will happen at some point, open up their phone, they need to, you know, see this doctor, find out if they're in their insurance, um, you know, what the copay is going to be for that physician, what, you know, mm -hmm. out of pocket, um, any out of pocket costs for whatever procedures, just nothing's that transparent in healthcare. So it's going to be a long time to get there, but we can get that information usually for pretty much any other thing, but healthcare is still, um, somewhat of an, I guess, inefficient market. Well, yeah. I mean, Trisha, let me ask you a question. I mean, let me like ask you a question, turn sure. the tables on you. If you were the head of a healthcare organization and I came up to you and I said, listen, I have this new technology that I want to sell you that is going to make your patients' lives a thousand times easier. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah. And we're going to, they're going to love it. They're going to have access to everything, but your Medicare reimbursements will go down 10%. Right. Are, right. You, are, you, are you buying this software? Right. Are you buying, are you buying this technology? So, well, that's a question. I mean, so first, you know, do you take Medicare? Um, and if you do, then yes. And, but then also will it affect other reimbursements? So you have to right. go through and do all and, of that research. Right. No, I, and I time. use Medicare as an example, but let's right. say globally, whoever you're using, right. they'll go down 10%, but your patient's lives will be, and your provider's life will be easier. Right. And you're the, you're head of this organization. What do you say? But wouldn't the insurance companies be incentivized with, I guess, making, I mean, they wouldn't have, if they could, if they could automate a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, the, the questions that come into them for all of these mm -hmm. pre-authorizations, you know, it would save them some on, on their end as well, but yeah, but, they're not there yet. Yeah. But again, it, if, then we'd have I, less people to call at the insurance company and we'd absolutely yeah, get yeah. no information. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess, I, I guess someone who would be cynical would say, you don't want to make authorization easier. You want it to be, be, I mean, again, if I'm, if I'm being cynical, I mean, right. uh, uh, yes, I'm sure many insurance companies want to make, and look at their software. They are improving, but is it really that straightforward? I don't know. It's not. And I think the more walls they can put up and make people have to jump through, people be like, okay, I'm done doing this for today. All right, I'm done doing it. And then it just, you know, they keep kicking the can down the road and the insurance company doesn't have to then pay for that procedure. <laughs> right, right. I remember, um, you know, I, I called then a prescription for one of my family members and just a couple of weeks ago, and I went to pick it up and it was just a very cheap antibiotic. And, and I, I went through the drive-thru and I'm like, uh, yeah, so I'm here to pick this up because, oh, uh, I don't know if it was CVS or Walgreens or, but one of it goes, oh, uh, you know, Walgreens, we're not in your plan. You got to go to CVS. I'm like, well, how much is it? They're like, well, it's 20 bucks. You know what? Here's the 20 bucks. <laughs> I, I mean, so you're like thinking, oh, I'm going to go and get the doctor to call or I'm going to call it into this other place. Right. Know, at a certain, at a certain, like you were suggesting yeah. You get bat you get battle fatigue. Totally. Totally. So um, okay, one last point and then we'll or question and then we'll go to the QA. But talk to me about using AI in drug testing software. Yeah. So, you know, we we 
Um, our AI, just in general, and all our technology is more focused on quality and medical errors uh, as as how we've rolled it out. And, and we use it both in drug testing and in E7 Health. You know, the question really is, especially in medical errors, I don't know if you've seen the whole world of how, how many lives and how much damage medical errors, natural mistakes that happen in in everything healthcare. Uh, the wrong prescription, you know, you know, I've heard people taking out the wrong kidney, the wrong this, the wrong that, or been given a medicine they're already allergic to, or whatever it had to be. So I, I think the the easiest way for me, who is a who lives and breathes quality, and, and it's a cultural thing that we have in, in our organization, quality, quality, quality. We we have been focusing on leveraging technology to manage not only medical errors but also patient errors like you know when they're supposed to come back you know uh what is it they were supposed to get you know we don't leave it up you know we say well come back in six months and we'll give you this and they kind of leave it up to the patient to make the appointment right. in six months and come back and say remember you asked me to come back in six months for a mammogram no 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 we don't do that you know, we we schedule the mammogram when you're there or whatever it is and you have the appointment even if it's six months okay and we don't like call us back and book an appointment for this or that or uh and we just our our technology and systems really anticipate errors and you know in fact we have things for our staff that if something is not right they simply can't proceed to the next level let, let's just say a vaccine, our system indicates the vaccine they're about to give is expired, you know, by an hour, a day. You know, usually we we do it end of the day, but somehow let's say it happens. You know, our system just won't let the person move ahead. Yeah. You're, you're like stuck. Right. It, it, you know, and I think it's that it's a form of AI which leverages technology to make sure that policies procedures are built into the technology and as you change you have the flexibility of changing that so you reduce medical errors patient errors as well as compliance you know uh you know for example when when uh when we give you something or we do something to you you know we send like if we give you a vaccine, there's a whole sheet from the CDC we read to you that actually some places don't even do that, but we read it to you. But we also automatically gets pushed to your patient portal. So even when you go home, I mean, what what do they say? You know, what what do they say I should right. be looking out for? And so to eat, like many places just use the patient portal to give you the results, but we also use it to ensure compliance, give you directions. Uh, so you can go on your phone and say, okay, how, how was that? What was, how was I supposed to do that? Uh, and this is really a long-winded way of tell, telling you that I think we can leverage technology in healthcare to manage, reduce all those three things, you know, compliance, medical errors, and, and you know, patient errors. That's great. Um, I find it amazing that uh, you're right, that they, the, uh, practices, some practices don't do the the follow-up for like a another appointment or procedure, but 
they know how to call, text, and email you several times before your appointment so you don't forget. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's all. It's like a. It's called like a no-show algorithm because they. They. Right. Really. That's what yeah. it is. They. They're trying to prevent no-shows. So. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, what was your first job? Oh, you mean even before college? Or I mean, my first. It job? can be whatever. Yeah. Whichever one. Well, I mean, I, I was a straight arrow. You know, I went to college, med school, residency, fellowship, you know, so, uh, but I did, you know, like in the summers when I was in college, I worked as an orderly in the hospital uh, in high school, you know, worked at a restaurant, uh, just doing menial stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and, uh, you know, even younger that shoveling snow in the winter for the neighbors and making money. Yeah. uh you know shoveling the driveway kind of thing so uh but yeah i was once i got into college it was like an express train and uh <laughs> went right through it all well, what do you think you'd be doing for a living if you were not in healthcare or went the path of a physician um okay um you know i, I think what i'm doing now which is more the administrative entrepreneurship uh, being a mentor, focusing on leadership, uh, you know, I uh, internally I give uh, classes for my staff on everything from you know how to handle phone calls uh, to how to mentor other people, what qualities to look for when you're hiring people, uh, sort of almost like CEO kind of stuff. And I think now that I'm doing it. Uh, it kind of feels, you know, it feels comfortable for me. I kind of feel like, so I, I think probably just, yeah, going that, the, that sort of administrative CEO route and helping build cultures, build it, build other leaders, uh, is a lot of fun for me. I like that. What are, who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration? Um, well, um, you know, I've been reading a lot of business books because obviously, you know, I'm technically in charge of our business growth. So uh, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Tribal Leadership, which is a really great book about how to uh, improve culture in an organization where where your your success is measured by. I don't I don't want to wrap up the book in one sentence, but your success is measured by how how much you make other people succeed not necessarily just you yeah. um so i just read another book called blue ocean strategies which is a classic business book uh, about how to grow your company in in the direction where your your competitors become irrelevant you don't want to be just another person you know just fighting for the same thing but come innovate in a way where you don't have competitors right and and so just off the top of my head, I wasn't prepared for that, but those are like a couple of things I've been been looking at. Oh, that's great. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Yeah, so um, first of all, I really try to um, uh, limit, you know, um, and it's something I preach to my patients, you know, uh, limit carbs to you know, avoid processed carbs uh, and simple carbs. Uh, and you know, if you're going to have carbohydrates, just to have it in uh, good carbohydrates, as as I, I was calling with, uh, you know, fiber and protein somehow wrapped into it. Uh, so that's it. And then to stay active, 
you know, go to the gym at least three times a week, uh, get your car, uh, heart rate up. Uh, and also, uh, I think in terms of healthy living is just sometimes you have to turn it off and, you know, um, not be on 24 seven. Uh, and actually what I tell people is if you really are able to turn it off, sometimes the best ideas come to you when you're sitting yeah. on a beach somewhere. Right. And so, uh, to be able to do that, to be able to turn it off, um, so you can get recharged. Absolutely. Do you think a person is born with the desire to heal or this is just learned through their uh, medical training? Well, I, I think, I think when, when I started, I, I think a lot of people who went into healthcare felt that it was like almost like a calling mm -hmm. that, that, that drove them. Uh, I think as you know, but when I started healthcare, like 75% of doctors went into private practice where they were their own boss. Right. If you're if you're entering medical school right now, uh, there's a 75% chance you're going to be working for someone. Right. And so I think that's changed the equation where people going to healthcare, you know, if that's the point of your question, feel less and less that it's a calling and more and more that it's a job. And so, I mean, of course, there's exceptions, but I think as more and more providers and doctors work for someone else, as you could just imagine, like even in your field, you know, when you're working for someone versus your, it's your own business, your own thing, uh, you know, the, sometimes the, your passion uh, goes up when, when you, when you own the thing. So, right. uh, you know, so, you know, do you own the hot dog stand or you work at the hot dog stand? I mean, it, it matters. Right. Absolutely. Well, this has been a wonderful interview. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.